Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. You're locked in. Look at what we have here, folks. To the only show that matters. The cream of the crop. Duke loves wrestling. And there is no one that does it better than your host... I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. The Duke. And I'm all out of bubblegum. Welcome back to Duke Loves Wrestling, the show about pro wrestling and everything else. What is going on, everybody out there? First and foremost, five years. Oh, my goodness. Five years. That anniversary episode was so fun to do. And, you know, it's, reflecting back is interesting. When you think back to the journey and all of the challenges and, and all of the successes and everything that went into you getting where you are today, it's just it's so fun. And everybody who's ever listened to the show, you know, I, I like to take a look at the past in order to understand the present and also understand where I'd like to go in the future. So to everyone who listened to the Duke loves wrestling podcast, especially the, the uh, anniversary episode. Thank you. Our numbers have been way, way, way through the roof, which is very interesting. Um, You know, I, I just, I guess you're liking what you hear. So definitely want to keep that going. And yes, I took last week off. That was the first time in the past three years. In fact, I was telling our guest, um, I took about four episodes off the first two years of the show. And then after that, literally the past three years straight, 52 weeks a year, every year for three years, Duke Loves Wrestling was there for you. So I figured, you know what, it's, it's okay to take a step back, take a break and, and let that anniversary episode continue to be streamed and listened to and enjoyed, which you folks absolutely ate it up. And I appreciate that. I made a promise to you a couple of weeks ago. I made a promise to you that I would have a guy who is known for beating people up. And he's also known for making some of the most beautiful, delicious food that you will ever taste, especially on the independent wrestling scene. I mean, it's really interesting, this this double threat here. Uh, he can do it all. And I said, you know what? I got to get this guy on the show because everybody knows the Duke loves food. Not only do I love to eat, but I love the, the process, the ins and outs of how to make certain dishes and what have you. When I go someplace and I try something, I always think, what are the flavors? What's in this dish? And what would I add to it to to make it my own version of this dish? So I just, as much as Duke loves wrestling, Duke loves food. So I said, you know what? I got to get this guy on because if he's doing wrestling and he's doing food, then he's my kind of guy. And by the way, for full disclosure, he looks like he could be my cousin. Okay. 
I mean, legitimately speaking, this guy looks like he he walks straight out of my family. He probably is. So we're, we we might get the scoop here today, folks. We're going to find out once and for all if this is my long lost cousin. So without further ado, welcome to the Duke Loves Wrestling podcast. He is not only a chef, he is the chef, Chef Manny Fresh. This is Manny Fresh. I'm the guy that punches you in the face and then feeds you later. What's going on? Thank you. And I appreciate you for having me on your show, man. Well, first of all, listen, you and I, we are both bald-headed, handsome, light-skinned brothers. So I need you to not punch me in the face, but I will take the food, though. So can we can we make that deal? I mean, who, who do I got to pay off here to, to make sure that I, I avoid the punch in the face, but I still get the meal? I don't know. You probably got to talk to my wife about that one. Uh, you know, I, I got a bone to pick with you, uh, Chef Manny. And, and, you know, I may get a punch in the face not only from you, but from your wife, uh, Ashley Mayberry. You know, she, she said some pretty um, rude things to me. The last time she was on this show, okay. Oh, she and, told and me that she, she actually okay. told me to mention butt paste to you, so I don't know. Well, <laughs> <laughs> listen, this is this is a family friendly show here, uh, Chef Manny. I, I don't know what's going on with this this butt paste stuff and what you folks got going on over there, okay. But yeah, yeah, that that was definitely a topic of discussion because I never heard of that. You know, I, I know that you folks have a new. Uh, Little one over there. I, I haven't had one yet, so I didn't know about the butt paste. Is that <laughs> is that something that surprised you too when you first heard about it? <laughs> it actually did. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I have two older ones. I, I have a 19-year-old. Well, she's going to be 19, and I got a, a son who's 15. He'll be 16. So it's been a while since we. I, I personally had to have a, a small baby. Um, and usually like we use like ointment, desitin, or like Vaseline or whatever on their butts if they got a rash, baby powder, cornstarch. We were uh, going shopping one day and we seen this thing called butt paste. And I was like, what the hell is butt paste? <laughs> so it was a thing. And then it, it became like the butt paste, um, butt paste cream. So when they have a rash, you put it on their butt. It's just, I've never seen it. I mean, it's, it's interesting marketing. I, at first, it's like, well, why the hell would you name it that? But you know something? This is the second episode where I'm bringing up this butt paste. So clearly the marketing has worked. All right. So whoever created that stuff, good job. You got me talking about it. So it is what it is. Uh, yes, sir. Chef Manny, how, how long have you been wrestling? I've been wrestling almost 11, 12 years between there. I started really late. I'm going to be 41 this year. Um, I started off in my 30s. I was like 30 years old when I started. So I started around the same age, roughly, I think, as DDP. Started pretty late. Not like a lot of the other guys who started like, you know, 18, 19 years old and stuff. I I was already old, dude, starting to get in the ring and taking bumps. Well, I tip my hat to you because let me tell you something. Something happened to me right around 33, 34 years old. It, it just it felt like. Everything that I ever done in life, basketball, baseball, football, and, and all the injuries that I had growing up as a kid, I, I used to be a heavy lifter too. I got a torn rotator cuff. All of that stuff I was able to do and bounce back when I was a kid, no problem. As soon as I hit about 33, 34 years old, I, I've just fallen apart, man. 
That's that's the <laughs> end of that. This body was never made for bumps, so there's no way I'll be in a wrestling ring because I'm telling you, I just can't do it. So the fact that you started wrestling around 30 years old, I, I got to tip my hat to you, man. Thank you, thank you. So ironically, you're mentioning all that, all the, all the sports. I was a jock in high school. Um, I freshman year of high school, I was playing baseball. Um, I was a nose tackle for my high school football team. Um, I was a catcher for the for the baseball team. Um, I, I was a power lifter. <laughs> it's ironic that you say that. I was a power lifter in high school. Um, and I also uh, – I'm from New York City. A lot of people don't know what handball is, but I also play handball up in New York City. Um, so I was on a handball team up there too. Um, so just doing like, you know, all those sports, freshman year in high school, and then after that, you know – by my senior year, I think I was playing like three or four other sports after. Um, and then after after high school, I was still, you know, playing football and all that other stuff. And I had injuries. I had injuries. I, I had a, uh, a broken wrist, a uh, messed up knee, a couple of concussions, and, you know, just – wrestling happened <laughs> it happened ironically how it happened was I, I i was at an indie show um in fort myers and i was just sitting in an audience and a, a a friend of mine at the time he was working for a radio station down there and he was like hey you know there's a wrestling show down here um it's an indie show but if you want to come through come through i was like all right i'll come through came through and you know i saw the show i was like oh this is pretty dope you know it's dope because it's local. I like it. And then uh, the booker comes up to me. He goes, hey, man, um, you ever play any sports or anything? I was like, yeah, you know, I played football, baseball and stuff like that. He goes, you ever thought about being a wrestler? And I kind of laughed it off. I was like, nah, man, I'm too old for this shit or anything. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cuss. <laughs> um, I was like, nah, man, I'm too I'm too old for this. Um, you know, he was like, nah, you could, you could totally do this. Um, guys start older than you sometimes. I was like, all right, I'll, I'll come down. I'll try out or whatever. And me and like four other guys, we went down. And and at the time in Fort Myers, the wrestling company that was around was uh, New Era Wrestling. We were training and <laughs> they're going to call me a backyarder and I'm okay. I don't, I don't care for that term, but whatever. We were training in the backyard, but there was an actual wrestling ring not a makeshift wrestling ring or it was an actual low boy 16 by 16 wrestling ring um in somebody's backyard and we were all training there and i started taking my first bumps and i was like man i could totally do this this is nothing and it felt good um i had uh one of my one of my head trainers may rest in peace his name was jesse tupac um he was a a mexican luchador um that was he was very well known down in Miami area, um, but he lived in Naples and always came up to train. And he taught me how to basically, um, he taught me how to how to basically sell the right way. Because <laughs> he says, if you're not going to sell, I'm going to make you sell. And sure enough, I didn't sell the right way the first time and he made me sell. <laughs> so after training with him for, I want to say six months or so, you know, um, I had my, one of my first matches and 
you know, ironically, they they kind of threw me to the dogs and say, hey, we're going to we're going to add you into this mix up with Jake the Snake. And, you know, it's like a big eight man tag type thing. And, you know, I was like, holy shit, my first uh, my first match and Jake the Snake is involved. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> um, and then, you know, go forward again. And it's, it's just been it's just been a great ride so far. So far, and I say so far because it's not going to end yet. Well, that that's an interesting concept there. So you were in there with Jake the Snake Roberts. I mean, legitimate Hall of Famer, one of the greatest mm-hmm. minds in the history of pro wrestling, and one of the most recognizable figures in pro wrestling. So I, I got to ask, what was it like taking the DDT? I smiled. <laughs> I smiled. I mean, I'm I'm a rookie. I smiled. I had a tag partner at the time. He was. He was in the match, um, and they had me outside. So we were kind of like alternating between each other because he was in the match, and he was a rookie also. So it would be one of those, all right, you're in, and then, all right, screw it. I'm just going to pop in because we kind of we were both big, and we kind of look, looked like each other. <laughs> so we were like, all right, you're in. All right, now I'm in. Now you're in. Now I'm in. All right, whatever. He took the DDT. I took one. Everybody took a DDT basically that night. And it, it was just fun. I, I freaking popped. I smiled. I laughed. I was like, oh, shit, this is cool. <laughs> and then, you know, you had guys there like Kazarni was there. Um, it, it was an amazing time to to be like involved in something like that. And then later on, just getting into getting into matches, it started to become natural after a while. Well, shout out to Jake the Snake Roberts, and I, and I think that's interesting. I, did he know that was your first match? Oh yeah, yeah, he did. Um, and I had like a good conversation with him um, for like an hour after. Um, this was around the time that he started to get sober, and you know he 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 gave me some advice. He goes, "Look, man, you know you're an older guy, you know, and you're a bigger guy." Um, he goes, "So you're going to move a lot slower and." You know, but he's like, because you are older, these guys don't know how many years you've been in the ring. These fans don't know how long you've been in the ring. So your style of wrestling, you need to be more methodical. You need to show that, hey, I got this. And I've always took that advice from him. And taking that advice from him has helped me throughout the years. You know, Chef, you you brought up the fact that you are uh oh i hear your tag team partner in the background there who's that oh, yeah that's that's malik having a little meltdown right now that's my son the newborn he's with a, a friend of mine right now how, how old is malik uh he is going to be three months old uh june 3rd he'll be three months old well listen I, I'm, I'm sure malik is is not happy that chef manny is is doing an interview without him because you know, Malik is a future universal champion of the world. So I, I, oh, I, I understand. <laughs> <laughs> nah, man, he's good. He's good right now. All the kids love to be on Duke Loves Wrestling. I, I get it. It's all good. It's all good. But no, I, I wanted to ask you, though, um, you said that Jake the Snake gave you some advice and you took it to yeah. heart and you've applied it. And that is a very unusual way of doing things and 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 here's what i mean by that we all have an ego especially we as men right we all feel that we know more than we do we don't want to let on that we don't know what we don't know 
Um, so to, to have somebody pull you aside and take the time over an hour of his personal time to put something in your head and give you some advice and for you to actually take that and do something with it, that is not common, man. So, so I want to ask, where does that come from where you're able to receive advice from an elder and actually not take offense and actually take what you can use and apply it. Where does that come from? My grandmother. <laughs> um, so a quick, quick history story um, about me. Um, I'm a product of adoption. Um, so my mom and dad had me when they were really young. They were like 14 years old. Um, my dad was like a, a back in New York, he was big into like the gangs and, you know, Latin Kings and all that stuff and selling drugs and doing drugs and drinking and everything, you know, uh, and my parents were dumb back in, back then. So my, my, uh, my grandmother, my dad's mom basically was like, you know what? You guys are too young. You don't know what you're doing. I'm uh, taking his rights away, taking your rights away, and he's going to be my son. So at the age of six months old, I was fully adopted by my grandmother. Um, so there was a joke in my family that I was always my own uncle. <laughs> um, because technically I am. <laughs> um, and, you know, she's always she's always uh, giving me the advice and always told me to stay humble um, with, with everything I do in life because nothing is guaranteed. Everything could be taken away from you in an instant. Um, and that's how I've always lived my life. Like uh, I try to stay as, as humble as possible um, and never take anything for granted. Um, and if you sat down with me, I could, I could have a huge ego and a biggest swelled head of all I want. But if you want to sit down with me and critique me and criticize in a good way or tell me, hey, I think this is what you should do. And don't get me wrong. I, I'm I am by far I am just like every other guy out there. Oh, you can't tell me squat. Um, you don't know what you're talking about. I get that way. But I will sit down and listen. I will sit down and listen. And that does come from my grandmother, because, you know, like I said, she's always she's always taught me to be humble with with everything I did. So, yeah, that that is deep. That is deep right there, because, again, it's unusual. You know, I can count on one hand how many wrestling veterans and I've I've interviewed a, a whole lot of them who have told me that they spoke to a person just breaking into the industry and the person actually sat down and took the time to listen to them, you know, because it's not like he was your wrestling trainer or anything like that. It's not like you had to listen to him, but you had the respect for your elders and you had the personal intelligence to understand i want to be somebody in this industry i want to be a wrestler here is a guy who is somebody here is a guy who's been to the top of the mountain here is a guy who hasn't necessarily been on tv as an active wrestler in decades and yet He's still one of the most recognizable figures in this industry. So I better pay attention to what he's saying to me. And the thing is, too, like um, this is for anybody. Like, just take everything with a grain of salt. It's not always going to be in, you know, 
trying to knock you down or anything. Cause there are a lot of young guys that I see now, you know, I, I sit in a locker room, I listen, you know, and I pay attention and I see guys, I see like the older vets guys that have been in the industry longer than me talk to the younger guys and try to explain to them like, Hey, this is, this is how you should be doing things. You should be like, you know, simple stuff like, Hey, you should be shaking everybody's hand. Even if you don't like them, even if you got beef with them outside of the wrestling industry, you should shake everybody's hand as a sign of respect or whatever, stuff like that. It's not, don't take it as someone coming down on you. Take it as like, you know what? I respect what I'm doing enough to do this. Because if you don't respect what you're doing, there's no respect for you. Because you're you're losing all of all of your your own integrity. You want to be taken seriously. You can't be taken seriously if you're going to be a joke. You know, Chef Manny Fresh. My mother is from Jamaica. Wagwan. So, yes, sir. <laughs> yes, sir. The the lessons that have been passed down to me, especially from her. There's a lot of there's a lens that comes from the outside and there's a traditional sense of mm-hmm. respect and honor and being a, a, a person of your word and, and, you know, treat people the way you want to be treated. These are all lessons that are, that were hammered into me and something that, you know, I bought into and just a little bit of time I, I've spent speaking with you. I can tell that you're a product of a, a similar environment so I, oh, I gotta yeah. ask. I mean, <laughs> where is your family? Is your family primarily from the you know the continuous United States? Are they from the outside? Like, what's what's the so? Story? All right, so I am what we call in New York a New Yorkan. <laughs> um, my family's uh, predominantly Puerto Rican. Um, let me see my biological mom's side. Um, we are. They're they're all Puerto Rican. My grandfather was a pitcher for the Negro Leagues. Um, he is one of the darkest men I know, or that I've that I've seen pictures of because I, I never got to meet him. Um, but he was a pitcher for the the Pirates in the Negro Leagues. Um, and then my grandfather on my dad's side was a merchant marine. Um, and then my grandmother on my mom's side was a nurse. And then my grandmother who adopted me, my mom, I call her mom. Um, she was a, a nail technician for a beauty salon. Um, so I was born and raised in Brooklyn, New York, uh, Puerto Rican. Um, I lived in East Flatbush. So anybody who knows Brooklyn knows East Flatbush is it's all West Indian. Um, and that's where I grew up. I, I grew up in uh, on, off of Flatbush and Foster Avenue. Um, I call that little Haiti because that's where, that's where all the Haitians, uh, live that. But then they, on my block, it was all West Indian. So I had all the Jamaicans, all the Trinis and all the Guyanese there. So I grew up around a lot of West Indian influence. Um, so if you were to ever, <laughs> if you ever listen to, to like my workout music, it's not hip hop, it's not salsa, it's not merengue or reggaeton or nothing it's legitimately i'm listening to sanchez barrington levy i'm listening to like some old school classic reggae music um you know that that nobody will ever listen to on a regular basis unless you you've listened to it growing up (laughs) um and and because of those influences that's where my cooking style comes from is believe it or not uh, my cooking style comes from wanting to learn how to cook really good west indian food that is deep. And, and you know, it's culture is something that is so 
important and so much can come out of culture. So it's interesting that you, you have this Puerto Rican lineage yet because of where you lived, the section of New York where you lived, where you're around little Haiti, you're around a lot of Jamaicans, you know, West Indians in general, that whole culture has influenced you so much to the point where that's the type of food that you are most interested in making and experimenting with and things like that. That's, that's dope. That's really yeah, dope. Yeah. I mean, I mean, when I, when I started to like really wanted to cook, it was like, okay, how the hell do I make roti? How do I make that from scratch? <laughs> and I've messed it up plenty of times, but I got, I, I nailed it. I nailed it. And I had this lady who used to babysit me when I was a kid and I called her my Nana and, um, I remember the first time she was like, hey, hey, boy, come over here and 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 come eat, eat, come eat with us now. I was like, all right, whatever. And it was the first time I ever had goat. And I was like, what is this? And she goes, um, it's, it's, it's a curry goat. I was like, goat? She was like, yeah, you know, baba. I was like, okay. Um, I was like, all right, whatever. Uh, I'll try it. And, and boy, she made that curry goat. And I was like, nana can you teach me how to make this stuff? She goes, yeah, you just come here every other day and, you know, we'll keep making stuff. And she, she let me make a few things with her. Um, she taught me how to make oxtail. She taught me how to make um, roti from scratch. Um, she taught me how to make goat. <laughs> um, and then it just evolved little by little. And then, you know, my mom, I started learning how to make, you know, I call it Puerto Rican soul food. Um, I started learning how to make, you know, the acapurias and, and the pasteles and, you know, carne guisado, ropa vieja, you know, all that, all that good, good stuff. Um, but ironically, even though like deep down in my soul, my, my food deep in my soul was West Indian food, um, because a lot of people do need, and like you said, you, you need to know your culture. Puerto Rico is in the West Indies. Just a lot of people don't acknowledge that. So when I say West Indian food, I'm talking about Jamaican food, Haitian food, Puerto Rican food, Cuban food, Dominican food. I I cultivate everything into one. So when I say West Indian food, that's deep in my soul. Um, But I've evolved it to where I started to learn and wanting to learn um, Asian food. So my specialty now, today, right now, um, is Asian Polynesian. Um, and that's what I do now. I do like an Asian fusion type stuff um, with a lot of things I do. You know, that that's an interesting take there. And it's so funny because we spoke offline just about your culinary journey. And, and, and we're going to we're going to talk about that here in a moment. Um, but my sister is a chef and it's interesting you know, she knows how to make a lot of the traditional French and Italian cuisine and what have you because of our, our family makeup. She can do some of the Jamaican stuff. But we have had entire Thanksgivings where we do themes. And one of our more common themes is Asian. So yeah. it is funny that you say that because, yes, sir. I mean, you know, whether it's roast duck or, you know, whatever. Whatever. And, and Polynesian Asian is interesting because it tends to, especially the sauces, instead of being, you know, super savory, you're talking more salty sweet, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. 
man, you know what? You you might you might have hit the oh man, you might have just hit it right there. I think me and you are related somewhere down the line. <laughs> We, we have too much in common not to be. I'm telling you, Chef Manny, I, and, and folks, everybody listening here, you've probably heard me tell this story before. Actually, I know you have because when we had Alan Roulette of River Horse Photography on the show a few weeks back and we were discussing his latest photography from WrestleMania week. And I brought up the fact that I saw a photo of some chef guy, some guy who's cooking food, and I could just tell that this was just a really genuinely nice cool person and he looked like we could be related you know it just seemed like a cool guy and he was like yo that's, that's chef manny fresh that's my guy right there and then fast forward i have ashley mayberry who you know when she wasn't talking about butt paste um <laughs> she, brought, she, she brought up her husband and how how great of a, a chef he is and well, who's your husband chef manny fresh so it's like jesus this guy just keeps popping up Okay, this the chef Manny Fresh guy, <laughs> whoever this guy is, he's got to be my long lost cousin. Um, no two ways about it. So l- let's take a step back because let's let's talk about your culinary journey. And we really can't talk about culinary without first talking about your grade school and high school journey. So take me back to grade school. Chef Manny, because you have a really right. interesting uh, journey there. <laughs> All right. So, um, like I said, uh, I was adopted um, by my by, by my grandmother, and you know, we lived in Brooklyn. Um, we lived we lived off our means. So, I it was my grandmother, my two uncles, and my dad, which my dad was in and out of jail. Or he was either in and out of jail all the time, or he was on the road because he was a he was a truck driver too. So he would go from New York to Florida back and forth all the time, and then in between there get arrested somewhere. And then I had my two uncles. One was an artist. Um, he was a graffiti artist, and he was an airbrush artist. Um, and then I had another uncle who was um, he taught me <laughs> he taught me a lot on how to the best way I could say is he taught me how to finesse things. Um, He was the finesser. He was the one like, Hey, you want to make sure that, you know, when you go to, when you go to dinner, you wear a shirt and tie or, you know, he, he was, he was the guy that, that was like the pretty boy. So I, I've taken a lot from them. So grade school, um, I went to PS 52 in Brooklyn in Sheepshead Bay. Um, and, you know, going to grade school and stuff and, you know, having to go through things. And, you know, I, I was an emotional kid because, you know, I didn't have my parents. Uh, I was living with my grandmother. So every time they had those, you know, mother's uh, son days or, you know, bring your parent to school day or whatever, it was always a rough time for me. Um, so my grades were, weren't were great, but they were decent. Um my grandfather passed away by third grade, um, and I flew to Puerto Rico. I stayed in Puerto Rico for a little while, and then I came back to the States, um, and then he passed away. The day I flew back into the States, he passed away, um, and that was pretty hard because I was like, I just saw him this morning, so that was a hard thing, and I took it to heart, and I, it was really hard for me to deal with a lot of stuff in school, um, so... 
you know, my grades were reflecting a lot of stuff and they thought, Hey, you know, maybe his grades are slumping the way they are because, you know, he's grieving so much. So then I go into fourth grade and they still see that, Hey, my grades are going really bad. We need to figure out what's wrong with them. So they give me this crisis counselor that I had to see every day, um, literally every day for a while. And then during my crisis sessions and stuff that I was, that I was seeing them, they, they used to have me read like these passages and stuff. And when I would read them, um, I would read them, but they were, they, they would be backwards in my eyes. They, they would be backwards. So something as simple as your message will appear here to me, it looked like here will appear message your. So it would just flow off my tongue just that way. Um, they did some testing on me and it came to find out by fourth grade, I was dyslexic. Um, to this day, I'm 40 years old and a lot of people don't know this about me, but I am dyslexic. Um, so has it gotten a lot better? Yes. It's gotten a lot better because I've done a lot of training to, to help it. But (laughs) in conversation, there are times where you will hear me, um, say things crazy or kind of backwards um, where like, you know, if I'm going over a match with somebody, I'm like, yeah, drop down, uh, drop down, shoulder tackle, hip toss, you know, drop kick. I'll say, yeah, drop down, drop kick, hip toss. (laughs) And they're like, wait, that's not the spot. I'm like, wait, I know what you meant. Just, I got you. (laughs) And they think I'm messing up the spot. I'm really not messing up the spot. It's just because I am dyslexic. Um, And, Going through that through high school, uh, you know, it was hard. It was hard. Um, I dropped out of high school when my senior year, and it wasn't for what everybody thinks it it was for. Um, It wasn't because of my dyslexia or anything like that. I dropped out of high school for a girl. I was stupid. Um, I needed one credit to graduate high school, and I thought I knew everything. Um, I had like $10,000 in my savings account and I said, you know what? I don't need school anymore. I got this fine girl. I'm just going to drop out. I'm moving to Pennsylvania. And I took my girlfriend at the time. We moved to Pennsylvania and I thought I knew everything. And clearly I didn't. (laughs) I blew through $10,000 real quick. Uh, I sent her back to Brooklyn. I stayed in Pennsylvania a little bit longer and and then I went up, I ended up back in Brooklyn and, you know, I just started trying to find myself, find out who I was and everything. Um, I was, <laughs> I was slinging dope, uh, at the time. Um, and it wasn't for me. And then I had one of my cousins who says, look, you're not doing this. We're going to do, we're going to do something else with you. So my cousin, um, took me under his wing. He took me as a, a, a as a little brother almost. Um, so my cousin was, was the guy I wanted to be my whole life, basically as a kid, he was the cool cousin. He was the one that, you know, had the nice cars and all the girls and all that. So he took me under his wing. I, you know, at the age of 16, he, he was taking me to the clubs. <laughs> so at 18, he said, look, this is what we're going to do. We're going to keep you uh, grounded so he got me a he got me a gig um, at this reception hall, 
with with a with a friend of ours named Mario, and he had me DJing legitimately at this reception hall, and I was DJing since the age of fifteen. Um, I was doing like hooky parties and stuff like that, and you know, um, my cousin would bring me into like these big clubs like Roseland or the China club or something like that. And I was like 16, 17 years old DJing at these places. So it was a big thing. It was a big deal to me. Um, but he would have to pay them off all the time just to let me in the door because I was underage. But, uh, he was like, yeah, we're going to, we're going to keep you at this reception hall. We're going to make sure you stay legit, keep yourself clean and everything. Like, you know, not, not, not getting in any trouble. So I did that. Um, and then, we ended up owning an after-hours bar. So at the age of 18, we own, I owned an after-hours bar <laughs> with my cousin. Um, and we were making money. We were making bank. And I think uh, around 20 years old, I, I met my ex-wife. Um, I fell in love quick. I was young, stupid. Fell in love real quick with somebody who had kids. <laughs> um, and again, I knew everything. So I fell in love with her. And let me see, uh, fast forward a little bit more. She got pregnant with my daughter. So I did the noble thing. I asked her to marry me. A couple of years down the line, my daughter was born and she got pregnant again with my son, with my oldest son. Um, And then I said, wow, I asked her to marry me, but we're still not married. (laughs) So uh, we ended up getting married in 2007. Um, 2007, we go on our honeymoon to, uh, to Puerto Rico and then we made a stop here in Florida and we went to SeaWorld and then we had, I have family down here. Um, and we came to see, see some family here. And my ex-wife was like, yo, this is a really nice spot. Like we could really move down here. Now at the time in 2007, I was living in the projects in downtown Brooklyn with my kids, like with my children. And, um, you know, I was, I think my daughter was maybe about four, five years old. My son was about two or three years old. I'm like, yeah, Florida does sound nice. I don't want to be raising my kids in the projects in Brooklyn. That's not what I, that's not in the plans for them. So, so we made a decision to move down here, um, in 2007, right after we got married. We moved down here the 4th of July. The month that we moved down, I said, you know what? If I'm making a change for my kids, I'm going to make a change for me. So I went down to the Lee County uh, Educational Department and I said, hey, I want to get my GED. So they said, well, you know, you have to take classes and everything. I was like, I don't need the classes. Just give me the test. I just want the test. (laughs) So they give me the test. I aced the test. I passed the test and I got my GED, but they didn't give me my GED. They actually gave me a Florida State high school diploma, which that was more meaningful for me because it was like, you know what? I did all this hard work and it wasn't uh, a good enough diploma, a.k.a. GED, but it was an actual high school diploma. So for me, that was a that that was a that was a big deal for me. Um, after I got my GED, I, I was working for a cable company for about six years or so. And then I was cooking a lot. I was just cooking so much. 
a lot of family get-togethers and stuff. And I said, you know what? I told my ex-wife, I was like, you know what? I'm going to go to culinary school. I'm going to just do it. She was like, why? I was like, because I think I, I got something here. I think this is what I want to do. So I go to culinary school for about two years. I graduated uh, from Fort Myers Tech. Um, and I graduated with high honors. I had a, if you had to put a number to it, I had a 99, <laughs> 99.5 average. Um, I was on the honor society. Um, I, I, I graduated top of my class with one other person. So it was two of us that gradu- graduated top of the class. Um, and that's where I am as far as educationally with, uh, with where I'm at. Um, the biggest struggle in culinary school was my dyslexia because um, reading recipes, I would have to read them three, four or five different times. And I had to read them over and over and over. Even now, I still do the same thing. Um, my, weakest, my weakest thing was uh, baking. <laughs> I'm a savory chef. I'm not a baker. Um, but that that was the the biggest uh the biggest drawback for me was my dyslexia because you know as much as i i knew what i was reading it was hard reading it because you know when 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 your recipe says hey you need three and a half liters of xyz and you need two cups of this you're looking at it and to me i'm like oh so i need two cups of of this but am i supposed to have two liters or three cups so you're like wondering where it is. So for those of you that don't have dyslexia or don't understand it, it's basically looking at, 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 at a sheet of paper and seeing numbers and letters backwards. Sometimes you don't see them backwards. And that's a misconception with a lot of people. They think it's all oh, you see everything backwards. No, you look at everything and everything's jumbled. So everything literally in your in your brain, everything's moved around to different places. So it's like a puzzle that you got to put together and, and decipher like, okay, this is what it is. So that's where, uh, where I hope people who have dyslexia could understand, Hey, <laughs> you can overcome this shit. <laughs> I mean, it's just such a powerful, powerful life story. And I got to tell you, chef Manny fresh, you know, not bad for a dyslexic, uh, high school dropout. Yeah, <laughs> you, know, you, you, you turn that around and, and you become the top of your class. And call it, first of all, you went and got your high school diploma. Yeah. Technically. Um, yeah. And then you went on to be the top of your class in culinary school. And, you know, you're also doing the pro wrestling thing. You got a lovely family like you're, you're a guy who, despite all of the challenges in life, you have found a way to win. I mean, it's not all winning. Like, now I'm going to really put myself out there. Um, a lot of people don't know this in the wrestling industry. Um, they're probably going to know now after I say this now. Um, but I, I currently, currently at this moment, I currently suffer from um, PTSD, anxiety, and depression. Um, the PTSD is a lot of trauma that I went through, you know, growing up. But a lot of trauma that I really went through um, when I had my divorce. Um, 
So I, I don't sleep. I, I have night terrors. Um, I shake and, and, you know, my wife, Ashley, she's an amazing woman. She's, she's, she's gone through hell and back with me. Um, let's just say that. And I love her tremendously because of that, because there were days where I, if I was in her shoes, I would have left already. So I, I love her to death. Um, and, and huge shout out and huge thanks to her because if it wasn't for her, I wouldn't be in a place that I'm at currently right now. So, um, yeah. <laughs> That's deep. That's really deep. And, and again, here you are continuing to try to. It's okay to, to, to be acknowledged for the, the difficult journey you've had in life and the way that you found, um, the way that you found a way to make it out on a, on a positive side of town, so to speak. So even what you're talking about right now with the PTSD and what have you, you're still able to come on this show, openly talk about your life. And I know for a fact, inspire somebody listening right now. So it's just, it's, it's tremendous, man. It really is tremendous. I, and, and I don't want you to run away from me saying to you oh, no. that <laughs> you are an inspiration. I'm serious. I, no, I appreciate I it. Feel man. that. Feel that. Um, oh. I, ironically, though, ironically, uh, prior to the uh, to the culinary thing, I was actually thinking about becoming a teacher. Believe it or not, um, I do have a son who's uh, who's autistic, um, and that's that's what, <laughs> believe it or not, that's what dro- drove me more um, to go to culinary school because I have an autistic son, and. Um, having someone with, with a disability and having, having a child who's autistic, um, it's a really difficult thing, especially when it comes to food, because you're always trying to figure out how to, how to feed them. Because my son, at one point, all he wanted to do was eat pop tarts and chicken nuggets. That's it. That was his meal every single day. You could not get that kid to eat anything. And then I was I was tossing back and forth like, do I want to be a chef? Do I want to be a teacher? Because I want to educate people um, about you know about this, but I also want to teach. And you know, it, it was a hard thing. But food was where it was at for me. Food was like, you know what, this is where it's at. And I and I'm I'm thankful enough that. You know, my son has gone from eating Pop-Tarts and chicken nuggets to now I could take him out to a sushi bar. <laughs> um, I could take him out to go eat ramen. You know, this is a kid who never wanted to who never wanted to eat veggies. And I got him to eat freaking uh, tomatoes, onions, lettuce, you know, the, the little things. He's eating spinach, bok choy. Um, he's eating jalapeno bread, you know, stuff like that. And I, it, that was like so hard to even have him eat something as simple as a noodle. <laughs> so, you know, anyone that's ever dealt with uh, someone who's autistic can understand the struggle that I, I that I've gone through. I still go through every day right now, and I'm still learning with my son. My son's going to be 16, and I'm still learning from him. So he's like one of my driving inspirations on the doing the food that I do because I want to be able to feed everyone. Because to me, food is a universal voice um, to the world. Um, you have world leaders. What do they do when when they're talking about 
uh, you know, things that they're going to do in the world. They sit down and eat food. You know, what happens when you have peace treaties? They're sitting down eating food. You know, food moves the world in so many different ways. And, and that's where I want to be. That's what I want to be a part of. You know, that is something else. And it's one thing to be a picky eater. It's another thing to be where your son is at. And, and the fact that, like you said, you were able to to get him to the point where you could take him out for ramen and sushi and what have you. I mean, that is that is just tremendous. So teaching is definitely in your blood and in your DNA. And, and I'm sure one way or another, even if it's just with the kids, um, you're going to continue to be successful even in that endeavor because you have the right <laughs> attitude and the right motivation behind you there. Um, well, that's, that's one of the things that I wanted to do was teach. And, and that's what, that's actually what, what cultivated uh, kayfabe kitchen, <laughs> believe it or not. Um, kayfabe kitchen was an idea. It was an idea. Um, kayfabe kitchen was, Hey, what do I want to do? Um, well, I, I love wrestling. Um, and every time we're on the road, we eat shit. And I say shit because we're always on the road eating whatever's at the gas station or, you know, we're going to Denny's or freaking crappy ass Waffle House and stuff like that. You know, a lot of wrestlers have diet restrictions and stuff. And a lot of them always ask me, yo, what can I do to make this taste better at home? Or, you know, because they know I cook. So they come to me all the time. And sometimes I'll come to shows and I'll bring food to shows like, yeah, I made this here. Here's some empanadas or here's some tacos that I made or whatever. And it just it started to click with me like, yo, they, they want to learn. Like these guys want to like my friends want to learn how to cook. I got something here. And I told Ashley, I was like, babe, I, I think. I think I want to do something where I could teach people how to cook. And then I told her, I was like, you know what? What if I did like a podcast, right? I was like, ah, no, nah, I don't want to do a podcast because I can't, I can't show people what I do. So I was like, what if I did a YouTube channel? So I started playing around uh, on Facebook Live on my personal page. So COVID happened, and and I was uh, I was bored at home during COVID. And I said, you know what? I'm not a, I'm not a baker or, or a sweet type of chef. So I said, you know what? Let me, let me start baking. <laughs> and I started to bake and I messed up a lot, but I started getting better and better. And I sent you a couple of pictures of some of the things that I made. Um, and, uh, and as I was doing the baking stuff. I was live on my Facebook and I was like, yeah, we're going to mess this up. We'll figure it out. And as I was cooking and doing all this stuff live during COVID, I started noticing my friends are watching. Like it would be three or four people watching. And then it would go more and more. Then it would be, Oh, you have 40 people watching. Oh, you have, 80 people. And then the numbers started going up. I'm like, this is a thing. Like people want to watch. And I was like, well, maybe it's because everybody's bored because we're quarantined. But no, this became a thing. Like it became a thing where I, after, you know, we started coming out of quarantine and, and shows started popping up again. And, you know, I would go to these shows and, 
my peers would come to me and say, hey, man, when are you going to do another uh, live stream? And I'm like, really? You were watching that? Bro, and these are guys that I haven't seen in in a while. I haven't even, I haven't even spoken to them in almost two years, but because they follow me on social media and because of the pandemic, they were watching me cook. And I'm like, you guys are really watching this stuff? And it amazed me and I'm very humbled by it. I'm like, wow, that's cool. <laughs> that's freaking cool. I'm like, yeah, all right. And it, go- it brings me back to the YouTube thing. I-, I told Ashley, I was like, maybe I should just do a YouTube. And she was like, yeah, just do it. I was like, but what if I did a YouTube podcast style? She was like, what do you mean? Well, I'll, I'll, and this is the concept of Kayfabe Kitchen on, on, on YouTube. The concept is basically I interview my peers, my friends, or, or anyone. It could be, I don't know. It, it could be any wrestler, uh, Kenny Omega for all I care. I don't care. Just you come to my house, I go to your house, whatever, whatever it is. We talk about wrestling for literally two minutes because my show is not just about wrestling. This is beyond wrestling. Um, we'll talk about your wrestling career for like two minutes because after that, I don't give a crap about wrestling no more. We're talking about food. We're talking about the stuff everybody wants to talk about. Because how many times as us wrestlers, we go on these podcasts and, and no offense, I, I, I appreciate you having me on your show. Um, but all we do is talk about wrestling and we can't we can't talk about the things we like. So I'm like, yeah, let's just talk about food, man. That's it. Talk about the type of food you like eating. What what what, what makes you what makes you want to eat? So I did two episodes right now are up on on the YouTube page. Um, I'm still going to be recording some more. Um, but the first episode for me was was fun. I did it with, with a good friend of mine, uh, Aaron Nova. Um, and it was a fun episode. And, and we were talking and, and we were talking as friends. That's it. We were just talking as friends. And and the whole video, it came out so smooth. It came out so fun. and It was so good. And I was like, I think I got something here. So I ended up getting an LLC. So I am an LLC. I am official LLC of Kayfabe Kitchen um, in the state of Florida. Um, And it's not just a YouTube page. It's also um, it's also a catering. It's also it's it's whatever I want it to be, (laughs) essentially. You know, Chef Manny Fresh, first of all, I had to know that there was going to be a heel turn at some point during this conversation because, <laughs> you know, for for you to sit there and say no offense while you sit there and disrespect the podcasters in the world, all the humanoids that ask everybody the same questions over and over. Where did you train and what's your favorite <laughs> move and all that? How dare you? Talk trash. Listen, I'm a heel at heart anyway. (laughs) (laughs) No, listen, man. This is, you know what? Exactly what you said is the reason why here on the Duke Loves Wrestling podcast, we go beyond just what's happening in the ring. 
and I appreciate that so much more. No, you don't understand. I appreciate that so, so much more because it's like you actually want to get to know the person a lot more versus, you know, hey, drop some names on us. (laughs) Who'd you wrestle? Drop this name. Drop that. And I don't want to do the name dropping stuff. I, I could care less about the name dropping stuff. I care more about like about the person, the individual, who you are. And the irony of that is when you find out that you're heroes, you know, the, you, you guys are real life superheroes. Um, when you find out these superheroes are actually real people with real life experiences, it makes you care about them more. It makes you want to follow their journey more. I can tell you right now, um, you know, my audience here loves food. I mean, who doesn't? And just the fact that you're a wrestler by day and then you get into the phone booth and you put on your chef's coat and then Chef Manny Fresh is the <laughs> chef <laughs> cooking up at night. I mean, that that just I'm sure that you're going to see a lot of traffic on that kayfabe kitchens. In fact, why don't we let everybody know the best way they can keep up with you and everything you have going on, Chef Manny? Why don't you plug away? All right. So um, you can find me on my link tree. Um, so you type in Linktree, so it's L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E backslash Gonzalez, G-O-N-Z-A-L-E-Z 628. And, uh, you can find all of my socials on there, uh, my YouTube page, my Facebook, um, my Twitter, my Instagram, my TikTok. Um, you can also find apparel on there. Um, I do private uh private chefing i also do um catering and all that good stuff so i love it i love it listen chef manny fresh you're you're a guy from new york i'm a boston guy i know that we're supposed to have a rivalry but uh, you know because we're related somehow some way (laughs) our research uh i'm glad that i'm on your side because like i said i don't want to get punched in the face um but i definitely want to eat the food so i i gotta ask you this because you know, we have Memorial Day weekend coming up. Right. And I need to know. I need to know from Chef Manny Fresh, once and for all, what is the spread for Memorial Day weekend? I, I, I understand if you don't have your menu set, but let's say a guy like me who's kind of a novice. I like to have a little, you know, I could do a little something in the kitchen, but I make my own barbecue sauce. I make my own juice, which then okay. I turn into... Um, you know, like uh, frozen ices and, and slushies and things like that. I do, I do stuff like that, man. I, I don't. And when I say I make my own, ju- listen, Chef Manny, I will get the fruit, right? <laughs> After you clean the fruit and you destem it and all that, whatever you got—strawberries, blueberries, whatever—I'll right. um, put it in the pot. I'll put my sweetener, you know, sugar or what have you. I'll put a, a, a teaspoon of lime juice. I'll put my water, and then I will boil that and mash as that boils to get the real juice out of there and then mix it up and mix it up. Then I'll strain oh, out the solids real from the deal. liquids. Yeah, there you I'm go. trying to tell you, brother, strain the solids from the liquids. And then from there, I can take the liquid and make a juice. So I can make, if I'm going to do a slushy, then I can then take the solids and put it back in the, in the Ziploc bag and shake it up and what have you. So you have bits of fruit in there with it instead of buying a fruit pop you can make your own so i, I do i i'm I, I call myself a novice but i can get down like that brother 
So that's what's help up, me out. Here. <laughs> listen, I, I, I listen. I'm I'm not at the top of my class in culinary school now. Like I said, my sister's the real chef, but I'm a I'm a guy that likes to mess around a little bit. I have tahin. I just discovered tahin, the seasoning <laughs> there. So yes, so I've been. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but I, I've been I've been putting it on my my uh, fruit salad. That's a, have yeah, shout out to all the Mexican cousins out there. <laughs> right, you know tahin. they're part of the family too. That's right, they're part yeah. of the family too. So that's so that's the know. that's the southern that's the southern part. <laughs> that's right. That's our southern cousins right there. You got that yeah. right. You got tahin. That. I, I started. I actually started using tahin a couple of years ago because. I wasn't familiar with it either until I said, you know what, screw it. Let me just buy it and see what's up. And it's actually good. You can put that stuff like on on mangoes, on watermelons. Um, those are really good on there, believe it or not. It has like this really tangy, sweet and sour taste to it. So it's really good. Listen, shout out to Melanie. Melanie is one of the fantastic behind the scenes folks. I believe she's in charge of production for um, our friends over there at Mission Pro Wrestling. And okay. she was giving me a whole tutorial about tahine. You know, that's she knows oh, all yeah. about that stuff. There. So that's 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 deep. That's well, deep. That, that, but, that, that's down in Texas. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. So you already know they they definitely they get their big fruit cups and they put the tahine in there and, and what have you. But um, and you know I I started doing. I actually did it today for lunch because I seasoned my salad, Chef Manny. Okay, mm-hmm. I season my salad. I don't just get the vegetables. Preach on, put preach on. Put salad. Yeah, I, I actually will get. And when I say season, I'm talking garlic powder. I'm talking onion powder. I'll do preach, a baby, bit, preach. Uh, <laughs> listen, brother. I, I I'll put the, the the little not so much salt, but definitely the pepper. Sometimes I do the lemon pepper, just a hint. I so, do a little olive oil. You know. So okay, okay. You know what? You, you I'm a, I'm gonna get to my spread in a second. I gotta ask Duke a very important question. This is gonna right, be, go. this is gonna be, the the make or break friendship right now. Oh no, no pressure. <laughs> no, none whatsoever. It's gonna be a, a, a three part question. All right, all right. How do you like your steak? Meaning temperature okay. wise. Okay. Um, how do you like it seasoned? And do you put any sauces on your steak? Ah, Chef Manny, I don't know if you're going (laughs) to like me after this. I'm a, but see, because you got to understand something. I'm a sauce guy. It's a thing. Everybody knows I'm a sauce. I actually make my own barbecue sauce and and steak sauce. I I actually made my own Worcestershire sauce the other day. I I got you, but but come on, give it to me, man. So my steak, um, I can do it medium. I, I like a good medium, so not medium rare so much, but definitely medium. So kind of in the middle. I do want to see some pink in there. Um, when okay. You're when safe I on that right now. <laughs> I like, you know, I, I like steak that like has some good seasoning flavor to it, man. I mean, sometimes I'll even throw a bay leaf in there okay. um, when I let it sit and marinate, which gives it a very different flavor. Um, sometimes there's even some rosemary I've done jasmine I've done some interesting stuff when it comes to seasoning the steak because I I want the flavor thyme I love thyme on my steak Um, but you know some real coarse salt not just regular salt but if you do yeah that's it we good we good we good because me me, my steaks um, like if you were to come to my house right now and I'm like dude I'm going to make you a steak 
how I make my steaks. Okay. I prefer my steak medium rare. All okay. right. Um, has to be coarse salt, like you said, salt and pepper. And I like Tabasco sauce. Oh, okay. I like Tabasco sauce. And it's not a lot. It's literally like a couple of dabs on it. Now, I personally like the flavor of the steak as is. I don't, and don't get me wrong. I do sometimes take the butter, do the thyme, or I'll do the the rosemary and stuff like that and put the fresh garlic and everything on it. I do that from time to time. But I prefer my steak, salt, pepper, and cooked. Medium, medium rare. That's it. The reason why I personally like it that way is because I want to taste the actual product versus the other stuff that I'm putting into it. If that makes sense to you. It makes that, sense to me, but I'm the opposite. I want to taste, I want it to taste the way I want it to taste. Right. Me, that's like that's like for for everybody out there on a podcast. To, to understand a little bit more, that's like a wrestling show. That's like me saying, you know, you like the Shawn Michaels, the glitz, the glamour, and all of that. Me, I like the Dean Malenko. <laughs> Feel me? Fair. Fair. I like 100%. the I like the Dean Malenko. You walk in, get the job done, walk out. Yep. That's me. That's that's a great analogy. Change Shawn Michaels to Ric Flair, though, because, you know, Shawn Michaels is a punk. He's a Ric Flair wannabe. I know Ric Flair always says Shawn Michaels is the greatest performer of all time, but I think Ric Flair is wrong. Ric Flair is the greatest of all time. But I get what you mean, because I love the Iceman. Do you remember when Dean Malenko was, was the number one ranked wrestler in the world in pro wrestling, PWI 500? Absolutely. Absolutely. Dude. And one of my – one. Of, <laughs> A couple of my heroes, believe it or not, Dean Malenko is is up there. Uh, Dean Malenko, um, Chris Benoit. We're not allowed to talk about him, but whatever. Of course, of Chris course. Benoit, He's one of the of all time. Yep. Yes, he yep. is. I don't care what they say about him, Chris Benoit. Um, for for me, because I am a big guy, Bam Bam Bigelow, uh, Vader. Okay, okay. Mike Awesome. Yes. And. Um, you know, one of the most underrated uh, underrated wrestlers out there of all time for me, Roddy Roddy Piper. Sure. Sure. You know, I interviewed his daughter, Teal. Yeah. She's great. Very, very yes, nice young lady. She is. Very nice young lady. Yeah. She's great. Wow. That's, so, that's a good mix. That's a good mix. So back to my spread for Memorial Weekend. Yes. Um, let's get down to the main event here. I am going to be doing uh, a smoke brisket. Yes. <laughs> yes. I'm I'm buying a brisket tomorrow, um, and then I'm going to marinate it for two days, and then I'm going to wake up around four in the morning and pop it in a smoker, and slow cook it till about six in the afternoon, six in the evening, mm. roughly. Mm. Mm-hmm. How many hours is that? How many hours is that? But is that uh, is that ten eleven hours? Uh. That's about thirteen. Okay, good. Yes, that's that's about that's a, gonna you you, you a only good need thirteen a hours. You only need a fork and you can pull that <laughs> apart, man. That is gonna shred right up, right? <laughs> that's gonna right? be a good thirteen hours. Yeah, yeah. yeah that and then, I would shred right I, up with a fork. I usually, with the with the brisket, I take the cap off, and what I do with the cap, uh, I do the burnt ends with the cap also. Ooh, nice. 
Yeah. Nice. Nice. So I do the bird so let things. Me, let, me, let me tell you something interesting. Let, hold that for a second because we've got All our right. meat, which is important. We've got our protein. All right. I just found out. I never knew this. And I've been eating okay. this stuff my entire life. You know, my mom's mm-hmm. Jamaican. I don't think a lot of people realize this, but in Jamaica, we have a very strong Irish population over there. Yes. Yes, you right? do. Irish even in my, my, and in my blood. Irish, Spanish, and um, English. Chinese. But, and Chinese, yes. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people, would, would it would blow their mind to see a, a, a Chinese, you know, Asian, but literally they're mostly from China. But see a Chinese person speaking with a Jamaican patois is, is just it'll knock your and, socks off. It's crazy. And if people and if people do their history, why the Chinese was there, it was because they had to travel through the West Indies to get to the Americas to help build the railroads. So exactly. a lot of people don't realize that. I do so my history. Knows. You know your history. That's right. <laughs> I, I, you know I know my history. history. I know where I come from. So that's why when uh, we're, we're going to get into a whole political thing, but yeah, I know. Right? <laughs> I, I know that's for your other podcast. Yes, <laughs> I know. Yes, I, I got to get you on the other one. <laughs> I know where I come from. Put it like that. Damn right. Damn right. Damn right. So, but but I bring up Irish because of this. You know, I'm in Boston. I'm born and raised in Boston. Of course, we have a strong Irish population here as well. Yeah, in fact, tell me. I already Patrick know what you're going to say. I already know what you're going to say. All right, you know where I'm going. So, cabbage. I I <laughs> didn't. Well, of course, I love cat. I love to make uh, cabbage. In fact, I was eating. I was eating sauerkraut today which is, is, is cabbage, but I did not know corned beef is mm-hmm. technically a brisket. Yeah, it is. I did not know that it was a brisket. So, so yeah. here's the deal. Chef, when it comes to St. Patrick's cap. Day. That is the cap. Yeah, that's the cap, right? So, so when it comes to St. Patrick's Day, corned beef is dirt cheap in Massachusetts. It is, I mean, I'm talking like nine cents a pound. Jeez. Right? So I bought a couple, you know, and throw them in the freezer. And it's like, whenever you're ready to make it, you make it. So I made one. And what did I do? I soaked it. I soaked it for about two hours uh, just to get the excess salt out of it. Because, you know, corned beef is very, very salty. There's a reason. That's Mm -hmm. why it's called corned, right? And then I made it. I put it in the slow cooker. And I, I cooked it for about five or six hours. Right. And the way that it came out, it came out like regular deli style corned beef. So you slice it and you slice it thin, but, you know, it has a little bite to it and what have you. And everything was fine. That's great. The second one, I put it in the slow cooker and I actually cook that for 11 hours on low in the slow cooker. And Chef Manny, let me tell you something like I was just talking about with, with what you're going to do when you smoke yours for at least 13 hours, you take the fork and you can pull that sucker apart. It is just so incredible. And then you can take it and do whatever the hell you want with it. If you want to sauce it, if you want to, oh, yeah. you, could, you could turn it into whatever flavor you want after that. Oh right? yeah. It's like a sponge. It's, it's like a sponge. It really is. And you know, when I, when I do it in the slow cooker, I use allspice, bay leaf, garlic powder, onion powder. Let me tell you something, brother. It sounds crazy, but I'm telling you the flavor profile when it's done is just incredible. You want me to, you want me to help you add something to that? Please, please do. Please. Add some uh, soy sauce. Oh, yes. Okay. 
right? Add some soy sauce, right? A okay. hint, not not too much. All right. Add some sesame oil. Ooh. And then add some ginger, but not yes. powdered ginger. Yes. You yes. have real to ginger. like real ginger, but you have to. Uh, how do you say it in English? I, I, in Spanish, it's called guayado. Um, oh my god! What, well, you um, have to crush it. You have to crush it. Not, not crush it. Um, oh my gosh! What is the word that I'm looking for? I know it in Spanish. Define it. Define it. What do you? What do you, uh, what do you grind do? it. You you have to grind, grind it. it. That's what you I have to grind when it I say crush. It. Listen, I know a little bit of Spanish, Chef Manny, so that's why you know <laughs> I was close. <laughs> yeah, you have to make it like a paste, almost like a whole yes. paste. So, you so let it- me tell you something. Let me tell you something. I buy the frozen crushed ginger, which is basically a paste. It's like a little right. ice cube, but it's all the ginger. I do it with garlic too, and it's basically the paste. Okay, and and you're up in Boston right now, correct? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Okay, so. Um- I think they may have this at Walmart. I don't know if you guys got a Walmart up there or not. You probably yeah, do. Of course. Of course. Um, there, there is a paste. There's an actual paste in the in the veggie section. Um, I know they have it down here in Florida. There's an actual paste. It, it comes in a tube, and you can use the paste for it. Yes, so it's, that, it's the it's white, right? Isn't it like a white tube? It I believe looks so. Like yeah. a, a frosting tube. It almost looks like a frosting tube. Yeah. 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 Yep. 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 Wow. So yeah, use that. But yeah, if you use those flavors on top of that, that's mixing the that's mixing the Jamaican style with the Asian style. That's the fusion yes. part. That's the yes. fusion part. Yes. Okay. Um, now, now that we're talking about corned beef, now we're getting into the corned beef stuff. Um, I have um, friends that are Polynesian. Um, and this is again. This is me not doing. I hate doing this. This is me not doing name drops. So I'm not going to do no name drops. But they <laughs> <laughs> they are uh, Hall of Famers. <laughs> um, oh, I got you. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, they are Hall of Famers, and and we call him Pops. So those yep. of you that listen to it, you know about. who Pops is. Um, yep. We go. Yep. Me and me and Ashley go to his house every so often, and I always ask him. I'm like, hey, Pops. Um, you know, uh, what kind of food do you like having? And, you know, we'll talk and he'll t- he's a big seafood eater. He is a huge seafood eater. Um, but I asked him about this one dish that had corned beef in it. And he told me, the you know, the proper way to, to prepare it and stuff. So basically, you take a banana leaf and you put corned beef inside the banana leaf with mix it with uh, coconut milk. Mm. sauteed onions, salt, pepper, garlic, and then you fold the banana leaf, right? And you tie it. Traditionally, you put it over a fire of coal, okay? You put it over a fire of coal for like a couple hours. And then you take it out and then you open it from the banana leaf. Now, the banana leaf has flavor, a lot of flavor. Sure, sure. Mixed with the coconut milk, mixed with the salt, pepper, and the garlic, and and the onions and everything. I made this at home and it came out so good. <laughs> wow. It came out so good. So this is again, I, I I implore people, get away from your safety net. And when I say your safety net, open up your palate more. Cause there is so much good food out there. Like 
from different cultures. Start learning about them because you're messing out on a lot. Like I do a lot of reading on food. Um, there are days where I'll look at my wife and say, hey, what part of the world do you want to eat out of? And she'll come up with the most random freaking country. And I'll start making it. Um, I've made I've made Somalian food before. I've made Turkish food. Uh, I've made food from Israel. I made food from um, Samoa. I made, you know, you name it. I'll, 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 I'll mimic it. I'll make it. And trust me, this food out there that I made, I was like, this tastes like crap. <laughs> but I make it. I make it and I follow it through, through and through. That is so cool. That is so cool. And again, it comes back to what we talked about before. Respecting culture. You know, and I truly believe that there are certain topics and there are certain areas that if you can find common ground with people in those areas, it will open up everything else. Food and music. Yeah. Right? That's yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Food food literally makes the world go round. People forget about that. Yes. Food makes yes. the world go round. I got a a quick interesting story. I don't know if we have time. Go ahead. Sure. Um Ashley, uh my wife, back when I was going through my divorce, I, I was I was in a really bad place. I was in a dark place. Uh, I was going through a deep depression. And she knew I was. And her way of trying to get me out of the funk, her and her mom my mother-in-law now, her and her mom decided to sign me up for a TV show. So I told them I didn't want to do this, but she said, too bad. I already did it. So I had some of my friends. They, I had to do a submission video. So I had some of my friends in the wrestling business, um, you know, do a submission video on why I should be picked or chosen to be on this TV show or whatever. I sent it in. They called me back up. Hey, you know, the producers want to see you. Um, this is what you need to do. You need to cook us a dish. And it has to be your best dish. I said, okay. So I go to downtown Orlando. There are maybe about 500 people here. 500 people doing the same thing. They all brought a dish. So. I'm up against 499 other people. Um, so I go in, I bring my dish, and they had like uh, about 15 judges. All of them had to taste it. They all tasted it. All right. So then there's like different sections. Okay, you go, you go, you go. At the end of it, uh, at the end of the day, there was about, I want to say about 40 of us left. So that was round one, per se. I moved on to round two. Round two was the interview. Why you should be on this show. So the interview part was, we need you to tell us the life story. Because again, this is reality TV. And in my mind, it's like, oh, we don't give a crap about your food. We want ratings. We want to know the sob story about you. (laughs) So at that time, I was going through my divorce. Um. I wasn't able to see my children. Um, 
you know, and then the story I told you, you know, I, I'm a product of adoption. I come from, from the ghetto, I, you know, all of this, and I'm a chef and blah, blah. I gave him that, and I'm a professional wrestler on top of that. You know, my son is autistic. I gave him everything. I threw everything at them, you know. After my interview, there were six judges listening to my interview. Every single one of them were crying plus some of the contestants that were there. And I was like, I'm, I'm not saying this stuff to, to get empathy or anything. I'm saying it because this is, this is what, I, what, I, what I'm going through right now. This is what I am. Then they moved me to round three. Round three comes and here we are. It's, uh, it's to decide you know, are you going to be on a show or not? I was voted the best chef in the state of Florida for this TV show. I was supposed to be on season eight of Master Chef. <laughs> so what happened? So because I was going through the divorce and everything. So here's what happened. Um, Round three was, hey, you're going to be on a show. Um, Here's your contract. They actually gave me a contract. They said I had to go to California for six months for the taping of the show. Um, I had to give up my my cell phone. I had no contact with my family for six months. And I would be be actually getting paid while I'm there. They would keep me in a a hotel the whole time. Um, Just no internet access and no, um, no... phone access because they didn't at that time master chef was a huge thing and they didn't want to like let anything leaked out in the internet or anything um and i had this court thing for my kids and it was like you know the time that i had to leave i had to tell my lawyer i said look listen is there a way that we could talk to the judge and say look i have a huge opportunity right in front of me that i want to take can we postpone this whole thing until the show is over? And my lawyer was like, I don't see that there being a problem, you know? And, you know, he, we brought it in front of the judge. Um, the judge looked at it as a good opportunity as well. Um, but my ex-wife basically shut it down and said, no, if he doesn't show up, he loses his rights to his children. That's it. Done. So I did what was right, and I fought for my children. And I have custody of my children to this day. Wow. You got a lot of layers there, bro. You got a lot of layers there. <laughs> that That is incredible. Do you think uh, you'll be invited back? <laughs> Um, they, they actually send me emails every so often, like, Hey, if you want to try out again, you know, here's a tryout date and stuff. I I don't think I want to do it because to me it was like, it brings me back to a time that, you know, I could have, would have, should have, but I didn't. Um, and then (laughs) ironically, the person that I've wanted to meet the most, believe it or not, it wasn't chef Gordon Ramsay. Um, season eight was the first time that they announced and he was on this show, Aron Sanchez. I look up to Aron Sanchez. 
Um, and when I found out season eight, he was going to be one of the chefs, my heart broke. And I said, I am never doing this shit again. Nope. <laughs> um, but a couple of years go by and Ashley is now trying to convince me to do Chopped. She wants me to do Beat Bobby Flay. <laughs> and she's like, and if your kayfabe kitchen thing goes off really good, I'm going to put you on the Guy Fieri show. Well, it sounds like you got a lot on your plate, brother. I mean, and, and I, I second that emotion there by uh, your wife there, Miss Ashley Mayberry. We want to see you on all the TV shows. We want to see you at <laughs> all the places there. And in fact, my good friend, Chef Tiffany Faison, I know she listens to uh, the Duke Loves Wrestling podcast. I would love to see Chef Manny Fresh do something with you, Tiffany. So, you know, if you're listening, let's touch base and see if we can find a way to to uh, work something out there. So, I'm I'm open. I'm open for anything. Anybody that ever wants to do anything, I'm open for it. I'm open to interview anybody. Um, like, and when I say interview anybody, anybody, I'm talking about. I will go to your house. I'll set up everything and. You're going to get a free meal out of me <laughs> when I interview you because that's what it's about. Um, you know, that that's the whole thing about Cafe Kitchen. That, that's that's what it uh, geared towards is I want to know about you and your food. Chef Manny Fresh, once again, you are an inspiration. Um, it's funny that here you are on a wrestling podcast and we spent far more time talking about life and the joy of cooking and you know everything but pro wrestling and i think that's what made this special so thank you very much for joining us thank you man thank you for having me and i appreciate it mr tony Schiavone, and we're desperately out of time on duke love wrestling